Hello and welcome to You Haven't Seen That, uh, a podcast where we watch films that uh, I missed during my, my childhood and uh, early teens, during the, the 80s and 90s. Um, my name is Eric and I'm joined with my co-host... Chris, how are you going everybody? Um, yeah, so we've got a, uh, an interesting episode for you this week. Yeah, so this one, um, we're, we, we've skipped the hat, I guess, for this one. And Ooh. we're taking advantage of the fact that... Uh, uh, one of the local cinemas that uh, that, that loves to host um, uh, classic films, even new films as well, cult films, uh, the, the Astor Cinema in Melbourne, um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Columbia Pictures, in association with EMI, presents Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, they're doing a, a special 40th anniversary screening of the film, and so we thought, what better time and place to get Eric to finally watch this one then on a gigantic screen. Like, yeah. Uh, in a uh, brand new 4K digital restoration. So Exactly, because, yeah, what is it? So you were saying 40th anniversary. So 1977 it came out. Uh, it, yeah. it, uh, it was in cinemas the same time as Star Wars. <laughs> exactly the same time? Yeah, yeah. Apparently I, I was doing, obviously, a little bit of research and stuff for mm. the stuff at the end of the episode today, and... I found out this opened in cinemas the week that Star Wars overtook Jaws as the highest grossing film. Oh, damn. <laughs> so Spielberg's like, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad luck. Yeah. Um, well, uh, we could even talk about it now. In a vague sense, did it impact its uh, its numbers at the cinemas overlapping Star Wars? Or I it's... don't believe so. I've, I've got like those okay. figures for later on. Right, I mean... Be... You know, it's hard to beat Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. very big one. And that was a came with a bang. But okay, so it's yeah. still impressive enough and uh, and impactful enough to hold its own. Very much so. Um, I I would say this is probably my second favorite film directed by Spielberg. Um, just behind Jaws, I absolutely love this mm. film. It's one of my big childhood favorites. Um, so I've seen it countless times and things, but I'm curious what you you what knowledge you have, I guess, going like having not yeah, seen yeah, not not a lot. So as a kid, I knew this film existed, and I thought it looked cool because I always liked sci-fi, and I quite like clever sci-fi. Um, it doesn't have to be. I mean, space action sci-fi is generally pretty fun too, but uh, I do like clever sci-fi, and this one strikes me as one that has a has a good story to tell. Um, my basic understanding of of the close encounters, so I believe you know. First is is I think you see something, and second is you hear something, and third is you actually make contact or something you're, along you're those close. lines. You were very close. Uh, <laughs> num- number two, you're wrong. Number two is physical evidence. Oh, that's physical evidence. So whether yep. it be uh, crop circles or um, you know, close encounters of the second kind are those which leave a physical trace: holes in the ground, fern rings broken tree branches, telephone lines down, animals disturbed, the stopping of car engines. Okay. Some sort of physical evidence of it is so, is a second one. Sweet. So, yeah, because first is, like, you saw a UFO in the sky, yeah. that, that was it. That's it. That's the first close encounter, yeah. Yeah. And the close encounters of the third kind are the most interesting of all. Close encounter of the third kind is really when you meet them. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. And I, I know... Um, 
I know really only one image from the film, and that is the spaceship hovering over, um, uh, you know, in Devil's Tower. That's the one, in Devil's Wyoming. Tower. Yep. yep. Um, that all, and you have a fantastic I, I picture have, of I have in a, your house. I have a painting of that in my <laughs> hanging in my dining room. Yeah, one that like responds to a black light. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful painting that I'll put up an image on it on um, the the Criterion Quest Facebook and through my Twitter and stuff later in the week. But it's a um, a painting of Devil's Tower with a tiny thing of uh, like. I'll say two people ascending it. We'll mm. say we'll keep that as vague as possible. Yep, yep. But then when you put it under a black light, or you know, have enough light to then do glow in the dark sort of thing, the mothership appears behind it, and it's yep. And that's the amazing image I uh, I recognise. But apart from that, I, I know nothing about the the storyline. It's one that yeah, I always, I wanted to watch for a long, long time. Mm. I, I just had heard it was good. Um, yeah, it's that era of Spielberg's. Real magic and freedom, yeah. um, and stuff, and yeah, it's it's a genre that I really enjoy. So um, no, I don't know much about it. I, I'm definitely expecting to enjoy this one. Yeah, um, it better not let me down. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm <laughs> I've got high hopes. You should be okay with this. Yeah, ho- hopefully. This is um, one that even if we weren't doing this podcast, the um, showing on the big screen at the Aster was already tempting when I heard that they were going to do it anyway. Yeah, wait, they announced it way back at the start of the year, I think. Didn't yeah, they? for ages. They like because this was. I think this is probably the film this year that has, like, the big anniversaries. So. Yeah. So, yeah. E- even before we considered this podcast, this, that was something that was sort of... Um, I heard about it, I'm like, oh, that would be good to do. Yeah, we were just going to go anyway. And yeah, now. like... <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, looking forward to it. Um, don't know a lot of what to expect, really, storyline-wise, but... Um, yeah, well, that was going to be my other sort of nah, thing. Like, no, nothing. Yeah. So you, just, I'm assuming we're just going to make contact with aliens. Let's go with that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> just purely on the title and my basic knowledge of, of all that yeah um, so yeah I think we'll, we'll we'll get ready for our session it's not too far away now mm. and uh, yeah we'll uh, see you when we get back from the movies yeah so that was Close Encounters of the Third Kind yeah we're back yeah <laughs> it's good to even go to the, to the Astor the cinema again I haven't been seen in there in a while, there was a good crowd there. Yeah, and it, I mean, what a cinema as well. <laughs> exactly. Like, big yeah. screen is a good one to see on the big screen, actually. Yeah, and the, the screen of the after is just massive as well, that mm. it just kind of adds to it, and it's such a visually sumptuous film, I guess. So. Yeah, that's a good way of uh, good way of summing it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess, where where do we start? The, the entire car ride back from the cinema, we, we have not discussed the film whatsoever yeah, at this we've point. Been, we've so. been good. Um... I, I guess I'll start by saying that's a weird film. Okay. Uh, weird how so? <laughs> well, to me, ultimately I did enjoy it. So that's the first thing to say. But um, it doesn't have a huge obvious purpose. There's no, like, clear arc. There's... Even with something, you know, you don't get given any or much character backstory or setup at all, really. Um... And to me, ultimately, it just becomes a big, like, what if? Yeah. <laughs> really sort of film. Like, maybe we, maybe aliens. Pr- pretty much, <laughs> like, yeah. That's what I got out of it. So, um... Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of going to that point, like, why... I think... I, I totally agree with you in the, mm. that it is a very u- weird and unique film, in particular from Spielberg's filmography. It, it stands out because mm. of those elements you sort of said. Like, it's kind of a little bit meandering. There's not yeah. really... 
I mean, there is a point, but there's there is... definitely a direction, and it, the direction is guided almost by the scenes with yeah. the government or the the global organization. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's less of a like a narrative point and more of a thematic point, I yes. suppose. And you know, the kind of not necessarily much of a character backstory or mm-hmm. character arc and stuff. They're just kind of facilitated in that thematical elements. That's kind of stuff you don't normally see in Spielberg films. They're like he is all about characters and all about yes. like a very standard, like standard. I using quotations yes. narrative. Where so this film, I I always kind of approach it as it's Spielberg's seventies indie film. Yeah, to some degree, yeah. like he he came up in that movement of the late sixties, early seventies of the new American cinema. Yeah. People like Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, Brian De Palma, all of these filmmakers kind of mm. came up together and were friends and were making these interesting films. Except Spielberg went the studio route making blockbusters, like with yep. Jaws and things. And yep. this, I think, is thematically him doing his version of the type of films the rest of his mm. friends were doing, which is yeah. a more thematic base, but yep. still within that framework of. A blockbuster, I guess, to, to some degree. Yes, true. It's, he's made it quite accessible to a, yeah. to a broad crowd by making it very friendly, yeah. I guess. Um, you know, with the alien stuff, it's not as though there's an army with guns waiting for something to go wrong. No, no. Like, it's the, it's the Spielberg wonder. Yeah, yeah, it is um, just all about, like, oh... Like Halloween. <laughs> Trick or treat. Yeah. And, like, and honestly, like, you know, skipping to the end here, like, when it, it ends, you're just like, oh, that was nice. Yeah, like no, nothing really. You never feel threatened. They, they make like that. they make connection, and that's yeah, it. That's and all. you're just like rock on. <laughs> I almost feel, I wonder if like Roy is just like written around Spielberg. Like, what if I saw aliens? What would I do? Yeah, more <laughs> pretty much it is, and like to which extent I think like obviously it, it's a very much a Spielberg film in that it focuses on a crumbling of a family and. Oh, and yeah. all of that, all of, like yeah. all the stuff Absolute we talked about, yeah. Yeah, the stuff we talked about with ET, like yeah. a couple of episodes ago. It's it has all of those elements with that's are common in Spielberg films. Yeah. But it's interesting that Roy. Well, there's spoilers, everyone. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, that's Roy exactly. essentially chooses to become an absent father. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I guess you've noticed something that's a little strange with Dad. That whole that whole family dynamic from start to finish was almost creepy to me. It was bad. Like it's, <laughs> it's it's not pleasant to watch at times. The openings, and I think that's very intentional to mm. like, and whether or not that's Spielberg and Richard Dreyfuss as Roy, like the the idea that what is his normality in his home life is something that he is kind of almost wanting to get away from. So yes, this is like yeah. whether that was an ingrained thing. But, I mean, that opening scene where, you know, he's discussing, well, should we take the kids to see Pinocchio or play goofy golf? And there's just the kid just smashing, smashing that toy. Oh, I don't want this stuff on my breakfast table. This can cause tetanus. What is this? Hey, you know who's playing in town? Pinocchio. I don't want it on the my kids table. kids are going to see Pinocchio. You guys have never seen Pinocchio. You're out of luck. Yeah, it's, it's like I hate that kid. Yeah, and there's another scene where he's just playing no- off notes on the piano. It's just mm. a cacophony of noise and mess, and it's, it's the family's like this. <laughs> clearly, the eldest son loves his dad. Mm. You definitely get elements of that, and then as usual, they have the youngest one who has no idea what's going on. Yeah, um, 
but just like that whole I don't know like the wife and husband and Royce and you know they seem to like each other but also it's kind of like yeah we're giving up kind of thing and yeah which is why I yeah it's it makes it so interesting to see well what happens when you add just this one new element of yes enough to a, a serious enough thing to flip him over the edge because if it was a stable marriage she would be like right we're taking like let's support this and she sort of was supportive to begin with to, be, to, to an extent I guess don't you think I'm taking this really well she said he believed him but there's that one shot though of the morning after and her cutting out the articles about what had happened yes. and throwing them away and she's just like no yeah let's get let's get on top of this early yeah. it didn't happen no Life shall continue as normal. Yes, um, exactly. We want to keep the status quo. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah. it's it is very much. I think, uh, like we like I've been saying, it's a film that's driven by its its themes and it's it's the idea of discovery and mm. like you perfectly put the what if I guess. Yeah. And that's what I think it like makes it resonate with audiences is because it is you just get swept up in the adventure and the wonder and the mm. excitement of. And the, of what's going to happen, I guess. Monsieur Neri, what do you want? I just want to know that it's, it's really happening. And the film so perfectly, I think, does that with the drip feeding of information with the the drawings and the like models of yes Del- and like the the characters themselves don't know what's happening and they don't know what this is leading no, to and initially I actually had to push from my mind the fact that I I know very clearly what Devil's Tower is so as soon as that was mentioned I know what that is yeah um, I I also know that the climax already knew the climax of the film happened around that so for a bit there I'm like this and like, and I'm like actually no I've got to got to push that from my mind mm. um. And put myself in the character's shoes. He doesn't know what they're mucking around with. Yeah. Even though I'd already seen the scientists show on a map Devil's Tower. Yeah. Um, which they almost didn't need to do in a way, I wonder, in terms of just a... It's, it's a thing, though, like, I I guess we'll never know because, you know, this film came out nine years exactly. before we were born. Exactly but it's right. Whether how much in the zeitgeist and uh, of a known national park Devil's mm. Tower was. As they mentioned on the, on the news report, like, it, something like it was became America's first national park or something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, but it's like, whether that was such a, like, a common landmark that people know. Yeah. Like, like for instance, like, you know, Mount Rushmore and Monument yes. Valley and all of those things. Like, was it in that kind yeah. of tier where everyone's like yeah no it's Devil's Tower it's fine or yeah. was that a result of this now they're like it's Devil's Tower yeah because yeah. It, this this film is ingrained it so heavily into the yeah. zeitgeist I guess and the internet probably as well probably because <laughs> when in doubt blame the internet <laughs> yes pretty much um, so yeah so I had to push that out of my mind when they were drawing and he was like what does this look like to you What? and also the, I guess the thing that also got me at that time was why is he even... Where's, where's his image even come from? Yeah. Which ultimately, that sort of... That was their invite, I guess. That image got placed in their mind yeah. somehow. And they never go into any detail on that. There's like a one offhand line about the telepathic kind of... The yearning that was like imprinted on these people from having witnessed... Mm. the Having their encounter with the UFOs. It's... Yeah. They've embedded this thing of like, hey, we've chosen you people. Can a you... bit like the tune, I guess, that they... Yeah. That the um, Indian um, village... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is a small group of people who have shared a vision in common. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a very open one. Like, um, 
What, like, I kind of want to get back to the, your initial reaction of it's a bit weird, so... Yeah, I I've, think the... Sorry, yeah. No, no, I was just going to say, like, is there a way we can kind of break that down a little bit more, possibly? Or... I think the biggest thing for me with, with, with calling it weird um, was just the, the, yeah, the lack of narrative structure and even purpose. Um, there, there wasn't uh, a goal set up at the start. There was some degree of closure... Oh, there was closure. But yeah, for me, ultimately, the ending was satisfying. So I yeah. could, yeah, I could go, okay, all I could put it down to is this is a, just a big film of what if we encountered aliens? Yeah. And that's all there is to it. You've got some characters to focus around. You've got your typical government group or, or whatever, and they're in a, in a nice spielberg way. They're not evil. Yeah. Um, they're just trying to communicate. Yeah, you have Michel Lacombe and uh, his, mm. his cartographer interpreter. Who I recognise. Bob Balaban. Yeah, the guy from Seinfeld, NBC director. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Russ uh, order his name is. He's now uh, (laughs) become a bit of a staple with uh, Wes Anderson films in Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest. Who is is he in Moonrise Kingdom? He's the narrator guy. Oh, of course he is, um, yeah. He uh, produced Gosford Park with Robert Altman. He's he's been around. His first role was actually in Midnight Cowboy as the, uh, the young college student who solicits solicits, uh, solicits John Voight in a uh, adult theatre. There you go. The, like, no, the, like, I, he's, he's the scene that got that movie the X rating. Uh, he's <laughs> that guy. Yeah, yeah. I was staring at him for so long. I'm like, that guy's so familiar. And I'm like, yeah. Seinfeld. Yep. <laughs> I, I love Bob Bellman. He's a yeah. fantastic character actor. Yeah. Um, he actually wrote a book. Uh, he kept a diary while working on this film. Oh, really? It was like a massive... Yeah, film and uh, he it got published. It's called uh, Truffaut, Spielberg, and Me, and so it's yeah. just about his awesome. Yeah, because he didn't know French. He he <laughs> did he did he learn his lines in French and just say yeah. Oh. Well, apparently, like how he got the job, he was on the phone to Spielberg mm. and asked like, "Hey, can you speak French?" And he said in French, "I know a little bit, but I'm really bad at it." And that was enough because he like, remembered Ooh. it from high school, <laughs> and he assumed yeah. someone in the room was on the other end of the phone could speak French and no and they were just like cool you got the job and he's like oh, oh, okay. I've French <laughs> <laughs> um, oh that it's so funny how some of those little casting stories happen mm. um, but yes so it's just a big big story of, of what if aliens like very quickly you, yeah. you have the evening where all the power goes out and things like that and um, and Roy and um, and little it's a, it's a kid's name, Barry? Yes. Barry! 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 What a weird kid's name, I don't know why. <laughs> I know every Barry was a child once, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it just... It's just... Yeah, you don't often meet a Barry these No, days. there's not many yeah. Barry... Yeah, anyway. Um... <laughs> and um, and they all encounter their their strange strange phenomena. Yeah. Um, and they all cop like the most cancerous sunburn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like oh yeah, he was cooked. Both of them were. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, his is way worse though. <laughs> You're gonna get the worst cancer. And I, I noticed. Um, I, I'm sure. I'm sure it was because of this wonderful 4K transfer we just saw, mm. but. 
this, the mashed potato scene when it's, mm. it's got a really tight close-up on his face and you can see the peeling that's happening. Yes. It was a wonderful makeup job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, I never really noticed that before. Well yeah. done. So. Yeah, either that or really committed method acting. <laughs> yeah, he just literally <laughs> fell asleep on <laughs> On a sunbed, yeah. <laughs> so, um... But yeah, and then from there, I guess I got a little bit, yeah, meanders a fair bit in the middle. And, mm. and then I was, like that whole family dynamic, that Roy family dynamic, the morning when he starts going mad and yeah. plucking plants, I'm like, that was getting really weird. Yeah. Um, and there was no, you didn't know why at all. Like, apart from the fact that eventually he, you kind of learned that he just wanted answers, but you didn't realize how much internally he was losing it. I suppose... Or have any reason for that. The, the signifiers for it, I suppose, like, I guess, you, there's that quick scene where Ronnie, his wife, kind of breaks down the bathroom door at four in the morning, and he's, and in, he's, yeah. and he's in the shower kind of crying, and, like, that's, mm. I, I assume, is supposed to be the, the scene where he's, like... Hit rock bottom. I don't think I know what's happening to me. But then that scene is immediately punctuated with the family crumbling and falling down. Yes. It's not... Which makes you shift focus as an audience to, oh, what's, you know, she then ends up throwing a tantrum and the kids yeah. throwing tantrums. Run! 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 no support or anything. No, no. And she apologises the morning after. Yeah. But, like, I don't know, that, that was a bit But that scene is supposed to be the scene where you see the internal struggle of, like, mm. really what he is going through. Yeah. And I think maybe as well if it had been contrasted with one of um, Gillian as well. Like, we, we just yes, lose her for, like, I think 40 minutes of the film. If, if you had someone else going through a similar turmoil... Which is what those two characters connect end up connecting over. Yes, but yeah, you don't. You're right. You, but you we lose, lose her for forty long, minutes for a long time, and, and I think maybe a little bit more of her would have really rammed that home for me. But yeah. uh, um, but again, like the, the film's pretty. Lo- it's you know two hours. It's already 20. pretty long. Yeah. Like yeah, they, they hang on some scenes really long. So yeah, you wouldn't want it anymore. Mm. Um, I did, I did actually kind of find it a bit funny the night, but like before the scene before, he's, you find him in the shower. And he, he can't figure out what's going on with his with his little tower and stuff. And then he just goes out into the garden, like, punch dances out his rage. Yes! <laughs> oh, my God. You really just needed the song Never by Moving Pictures playing. Yes. Just like, yeah. What is it? What is it? Punching things and like swinging on the swing and stuff. And uh, it reminded me a bit of ET as well. I'm just like, God, all spiel and Jaws. Like it's always that same swing set in the backyard of like yeah. the typical American family. Yeah. Like you know, all three are fantastic films. Yes, so I'm yeah. fine with it. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it's it, the film. I think it it plays like a a a film. Of, like you said, the what mm. if UFOs yeah. existed and we made contact. Made by someone who a really wants that. Yes, I think that was that was what I got out of it. I'm like, he, he wanted to really, he really wants the UFOs. Yeah, and B is like a UFO fanatic because oh, you okay, get yeah. all of these things. I'm just mm. assume, and you know, to make this film, I'm sure you would yeah, have to. You be. have to be like, but it's it's all the little stuff like the op- like the opening scene of the film mm. is Flight 19 having arrived back and. Yeah. I like I being I'm I'm sure a lot of kids kind of went through this, but when I was mm. a little kid, I became very like 
obsessed with UFOs and really interested in all yeah. that paranormal stuff. Yeah. So I kind of have a weird knowledge of, like, I... Disappearances and things yeah, like that. Yeah, Flight 19 were a, uh, was a training exercise flight that disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle in 1945. Oh, okay, there we go. And, the, and yeah. still to this day, there is not a single trace of what yeah. happened. Just the radio transmission cut out and they disappeared. And that was that? Yeah. And, but they, there's like one kind of throwaway line about, and they say like, it's Flight 19, and it's like, unless you necessarily know... Yeah, I wasn't... And, and similarly, the, co- the Cotopaxi, the, the giant ship that's yes, in the middle yeah. of the Gobi Desert. Yes. Uh, that was a ship that went missing in 1927 or 25? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 27 maybe? Yep. Yeah. Like... Yep. Yeah, th- there's no explanation of this stuff, no. but it is all these conspiracy theory stuff linked to UFOs, so it, it, it is just... Weird moments and stuff for a UFO fan, I think. And it's interesting, even um, with the the final design of the alien, that final solo one, yeah, looks a lot like the Area Fifty One alien. Yeah, he's, he's spo- <laughs> it looks like a grey, like yeah, that, that very stereotypical design. Those those ones, you, those couple of images you see of the Area Fifty One alien, um, he's got exactly the same head shape and stuff. Yeah, well, the one I can think of anyway. There's probably several images out there, and I can't say I know them very well. I, it, it's um, the very stereotypical. Alien image. Yep. Yeah. I was interested because he's. It's quite close in design to what ET evolved into. I noticed. Yeah, in the credits, the long it's, and it's Carlo Ramboldi, the similar, same, same guy who designed. Yep. Yeah. So he obviously, yeah, well, probably took a lot of that and then ran with it, like you were saying with the ET episode, is how they you know make it, give it an obvious silhouette and model it off a few other things. So, yeah. But I think they they ran with that one a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. But that first shot of when it first comes out is. Creepy as that first hell. that first lanky alien is creepy as yeah that gave me yeah. nightmares when I was a little kid yeah I'm not surprised oh. it's just like spider legging out mm. and then he's like ah yeah it <laughs> like, does his Jesus pose yeah he's like drinking yes. ladies and gentlemen and then all the little midget aliens come out and then they're, yeah. they're just kids in suits so yeah and you can see as. them sliding down the yes. little thing yeah. Um, and then the final one with a bit of basic facial animation. Yeah, yeah. That, and he, that was actually a full-blown kind of puppet. Yeah. Uh, an animatronic kind of puppet. I thought that must be the to. case compared with the others. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I um, I didn't expect as much um, actual alien... I wasn't even sure if we'd see them. I thought we might get the doors open and that would be... And, it. like, I'm sure, like, when, you know, you get the pilots and the missing people coming yeah. out, I'm sure you were just like, sweet, we're getting the contact ending where we don't actually see aliens. Yeah, so, well, I haven't seen contact. Oh, no! Yeah. Uh, but I um, I know the storyline, so that one's okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was expecting that ending. Yeah, no no actual alien Because at visuals. the end of the day, it's... I mean, it's not, it is... It's not what it's really about. It is, but it's not. It's, mm. it's just the idea of... It's really hope, belief, and faith in, in that... In first contact, and a peaceful first contact. Yeah, and the resolution on the idea of they exist. Yes. And we're able to communicate in some fashion. And they did such a wonderful job with the musical communication that it's... Yeah. Just, that, that finale is amazing, I think. Yeah, it's like, a cool scene. That's a really good scene. And it's so that. inventive and unique that you're just like, yep. Particularly, <laughs> I think it's pretty funny, but... Um, with a little the triple header of the the alien like the the first few ships fly in and and they communicate and like oh sweet and then all the other ships fly in and you're like wow yeah like all right guys we did it and then and then the mother ship flies in and they're like 
What? Yeah, it's and like a literal city floating in the yeah, air. Yeah, and it's like, wow, okay, step up again. But that, that um, wonderful shot where everything goes silent and it just comes up yeah. from above, like, behind. And the film uses silence really well, doesn't it? It really yeah. does. It, it's amazing. Like and it that. even does some other points through the film where characters are talking over each other heaps. Yeah. And if you're trying to follow all the conversations, it's very, very difficult. Because you're not meant to, I don't think. Like, even at the start, those first few scenes of in the desert with the flight and stuff, everyone's just talking over each other. And you've got the wind and the sand. Yeah, there's so much sound. I'm like, am I meant to... I guess I'm not really meant to hear this. I don't think it's actually that important. I'll catch what I can. Yeah, and um, uh, similarly, uh, Monsieur Lacombe's dialogue, it's only subtitled when it's... When it matters. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, mm. he, he has a few lines in French where you... You get nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's not... And you don't need to, because you meant to insert your own wonder, I think, into those points. And it's it's all going down to Francois Truffaut's performance. Like, he's telling you everything you need to... Just, yeah. Yeah. But Um, no, you're totally right about the... You know, because it is a very loud film, but it also... mm, Yeah. Sometimes it's really loud. But then the the moments of silence are so perfect. Yeah. Like, uh, I think my favorite... Like, my favorite scene in the entire film, and actually, I'd put it probably in my top ten favorite scenes of any mm. film ever. Wow. I-, I love the scene where Roy first encounters when he's in his car at the um, railway crossing. Yeah, that- starting from when he, he goes waves to and it, and it lifts up and yep. things. Like, just from that whole sequence and the yep. way it's shot and executed and the bizarre kind of almost terror yeah, horror yeah, film border- vibe to it. Borderline horror, yep. And then once it ends, it's... Dead silence. And then he's talking. And, he, and you just see it, the, the thing slowly comes out over the windshield and he looks up at it. And oh, it's that, just yeah. this beautiful silence. And then the car kicks in. Yeah, it's so wonderfully put together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. No, that was that was a very cool scene. Um, and even the scene, um, I, I really like the scene when he almost runs over Barry on the hill because mm. um, Barry's been drawn up there by something. Yeah, and yeah. there's just those random alien spotters standing yeah. on the hill. <laughs> but I also love that they keep popping up throughout the film. Yeah, like, even to the point of that elderly couple being in the helicopter at the end. They'd made it to were, Devil's Tower. They the ones playing cards. Yeah, or, yeah. I'm just like, oh, you made it. Like, yeah. good on you guys. Because <laughs> I, I do like, and Spielberg's commitment to um, to extras is great. Yeah. Like the guy who, <laughs> we, we, you, there's some really funny moments in the film when um, when uh, French bloke, uh, Monsieur Lacombe. That's the one. Um, is first presenting the, the audio to that, that room of people. <laughs> that, guy, that one, like, random stooge whose job is to turn on the radio. And he's he, so stoked he's, that he's in there, he has that job. And he's, like, framed like Wes Anderson style, <laughs> like he is centred. And he just has a cheesy grin on his face. And he's just... He's, He's got this really awkward pose. Yeah. He's got a cheesy grin on. He's got these dorky 70s glasses. Yeah. And he just holds that pose and all he does is turn the switch and everything else stays static. And, and he's perfectly centred. Um, like, where's Anderson style? Everything. There's nothing to either side anyway, but it's uniformity either side of him. Yeah. And it's just comedic. But that guy keeps popping up. Yeah. Like, of course he does. He's yeah, part exactly. of that crew. Yeah. And um, uh, Lance Hendrickson as well as the, mm. the so Bishop from Aliens. Yes. He's like constantly in the background and things. And I don't know if he was in it earlier, but I love... Um, I love the keyboard player. Yeah, he's so lovely. He, like, 
that has to be purposeful that he is such a little man boy. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. He is. Like, it's just like, so innocent this, and sweet. You've got this epic moment, like, first contact between aliens, and this guy's like, I just play piano. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> and he's just, like, stepping up, like, imagine, I don't know, I almost, like, would, would love to see, like, an outtake or, or like, a... An unused track where instead of him they use like some famous musician. Where, like, it's like Eddie El- Vedder comes out. Yeah, like Elton John or something. <laughs> like, just some, we like, need, we're making first contact with aliens. We need Slash. <laughs> like we need someone who, who just knows music perfectly and yeah. can just you know we need to communicate uh, through the power of keyboard. Uh, uh, yeah, no, Elton then Crocodile Rock. Yeah. Yeah, the aliens. He needs to be able to respond quickly and uh, pick up there. And that, that guy did a good job. Yeah, he's yeah, amazing. You're, you're right, just that little. Man, boy, it's great. Um, it's that's in between like, all these air force and science scientist guys. It, it goes back to I think something you'd said earlier. The Spielberg so cleverly like it's it's not a malicious government figure. No. It's everyone is purposely kind of cast to look nice. There wasn't even a gun. Uh, there are a car. No, no, but no, but in that actual oh yeah communication the, scene. No, yeah, no, oh, sorry, yeah the, yeah, the finale. Yeah, during the army parts, there are there's, yeah. there's guns there. Um, but yeah, no, because they're like no, like. That's yeah. Whereas <laughs> most alien contact films, there'd be a military presence ready to shoot them yeah, down. Yeah. Whereas, like, that's what I think it, it goes hand in hand with that whole the, put, the overall theme of the wonder yeah. and the magic of like. There's no threat. No threat, and yeah. it's all just a loving exchange of community, yeah. like making contact. That's all the film is. Yeah. And, uh, sorry. You oh no, I was going to say like quite a few bits of the film um, made me realize what Independence Day drew. Like another, yeah. obviously Independence Day drew from a lot of things, mm. War of the Worlds, for example. Um, but um, like, even as the mothership flies over Devil's Tower, you're like Empire State Building, yeah. And then even um, the scene with um, those those weird alien watches on the hill that just reminded me of like some of the alien watches yeah. in um, Independence Day and stuff. I get the thoughts of yeah. that, yeah. Um, and, and just things like that. That family of like alien. And yeah, so it's it's interesting. I, I don't know. You probably know more than me about other films that have been inspired by this one. But there's some just really well. Fr- I don't know how many movies had flown an alien spaceship with blinking lights perfectly over an object like that before. Yeah, that is, <laughs> it's this, so this was a true milestone. I think like yeah. it was that kind of we- unfortunate thing. It came out the same year as Star Wars, so yes. it it obviously didn't necessarily get the accolades that I think it deserved mm. in terms of the special effects because it's a different kind of special effect that yes. start than what was in Star Wars. Yes. So, um, it does, I mean, you, it does make you look at Star Wars and go, wow, their special effects were awesome. Yeah. It does yeah. remind you how good their models were and stuff. Yeah. But, um, but I, would, I would argue that the Cozy Encounters is equally as good in the sense of, like, that, that scene with the Cotopaxi, that was a, like, four-foot model. Yeah, yeah, and in an actual frame with a real hel- like a helicopter and people, those are real yeah. people way off in the background, yeah. and they, like it was a scale and model and stuff. Yeah, it's like, oh, very it cleverly, so well. very cleverly done. Yeah, um, and even the the design of the ships was cool because all the ships I think were subtly different. Were yeah. they? Some were definitely different, um, but how he. You know, he obviously knew the limits of his technology that he could use, so he used the light and colour of the ship so much. Yeah. Um, obviously, in those creepy scenes, like when Barry's abducted. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, which was a bit horror movie-ish. That's, it, that's, a, that's a weird anomaly scene to me, because I think it's... The, the film is, like, infused with such wonder that mm. that scene, you're... 
it is an anomaly. You're just mm. like, this is, yeah. Am that, I supposed to be scared now? Well, maybe that was my problem with the family fight scene yeah. and things like that too. It just felt, you needed drivers, of course. Yeah. Um, but it all, they almost felt out of place. Yeah. And Roy was never a bad guy. No. Um, and Barry, there was no real reason for him to randomly be abducted except to drag her along on the adventure. Yeah, I guess. Um yeah, and have that really cool shot of the screw being undone in the uh, yeah, the yeah. vent. And, and actually, like that, that one down the chimney was pretty good too. Yeah, yeah. that that whole scene and that iconic shot of Barry opening the door on the orange light. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's a wonderful sequence, but it is yes. just the tone of it is a bit awkward. I think. Yeah, it's just um, a bit different to the rest of it. But like uh, similar to what you were just saying with the you know the family stuff being kind of mm, jarring or yeah. something. Yeah, it is honestly probably my least favorite stuff in the film. Um, yeah. I, I, whenever it is Francois Truffaut, Bob Balaban, like the military people going and like, mm, it's like, all right, cool. Let's, let's yeah. get, make this happen. I'm just like, yep, I'm in guys. What are yeah. we doing? I find that stuff way more interesting and engaging than Roy's family life. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like Roy's family life. And when it's honestly like the, the first scene where he, he makes contact and mm. then also once he leaves and goes for yes. Wyoming then it becomes great yeah th- that's where and that's I'm exactly the same once he and um oh, what's her name again the um uh Jillian Jillian yeah once he and Jillian take off their gas masks and make a dash for it yeah like you just you're, in. you're all in yeah, at you're that like, point yeah and that that when they're when they're scaling up um the tower um Devil's Tower and they're avoiding the the sleep gas and stuff and poor Larry just knew as he was a red shirt all along <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, oh dear, poor Larry's gonna cop it. Yeah. Um, it's. Do you think though, like, if we didn't have necessarily all of that time spent watching his family crumble, yeah, so we wouldn't have been so invested in him making yeah, it? Yeah, I there? think that's a good point. Um, because you, if you had him as a single man, yeah, uh, you'd have to put a lot of this. I don't know. You'd have to have story based around his. His life being quite pointless, him yeah. hating his job or something like they needed, that. Yeah, something else to. I mean, it is still when you really think about it. At the end, he doesn't question leaving his family with no explanations. Like, well, my wife took my kids. I'm going with the aliens. That's something Spielberg now in high in retrospect as a yeah. Because when he made this, he was in his late twenties, early thirties, yeah, and now he's you know looking back on it, having had yeah. you know wife and kids and stuff. He's now said like you know, he wouldn't. No, Roy, Roy wouldn't go. No, and it's. Uh, I, I think it's suited that Roy went because Roy's character wanted yeah. to go. Like Roy it's, it's the perfect for that character in that. When film, you've got but... a family attached to him, you sort of also go, "Who we did like?" Yeah, <laughs> like that's the thing that they weren't separated or anything. And it's like over the space of what a week or yeah, so, he just, goes, he just went nuts. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, yeah, and that like. It was kind of funny, but where he just starts uprooting pot plants and then throws them through the window at his wife and wonders why she's upset at him. Yeah, and like, yeah. You weren't totally nuts. You just were a bit unsure of what was going on, but you're throwing pot plants through the window. You could have taken him in through the door. Yeah. Like, and, yeah, on, he, come he on, barely boy. waited for her to get out of the way before he yeah, smashed Yeah, oh, man, window. yeah. I actually... And that reminds... Like, a few of the, um, the stunt drivers were, were pretty good, thinking mm. of things, accidents that could have gone wrong. I love the scene um, early on where the... Yeah, where he almost ran over Barry and then the alien ships flew around the corner and the cop cars go after him and then the aliens go flying off over the cliff and the first cop car does not hit the brakes and he has the best like intro for it as well <laughs> Jesus look at that look at those seconds they're closing the room oh, oh. 
Like, it's such a bad... Like, there's a corner there, man. Yeah. And he just goes for it. <laughs> He's going so fast. So fast. And he, like, crumples. And then I love as well, like, Roy and the other two cops pull up. Couldn't no him. one goes to help and make sure he's okay. They couldn't care less. They're like, well, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much as even the model. you see the UFOs? But the, the spaceships, I mean, one of our best mates from work and his co-pilots, yeah. oh, <laughs> they're God. dead. But that's okay. Aliens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that the stunt driver, like, that was a big one. And then um, when, uh, when Roy and Jillian driving across the countryside, like, you could see there were a couple of cuts where... Um, they obviously just dro- drove off oh, small hills. Oh, yeah, when, when they go off-road. Yeah, when yeah. they go off-road, like, oh, stunt driver's going for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. What, I'm, I almost wanted to be like, you, you don't have to go that fast, guy. Like, <laughs> no one knows where you're going. Like, it's fine. You're fine. The sense of urgency is good, but there were a couple like, oh, that would have hurt. That yeah, I'm like, yeah. That car's pulled up badly. This is a station this. wagon, not a rally car. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That's, um, yeah. Um, yeah, so... You, as, a, as an adult, where, where do you kind of sit on the film? Yeah, I ultimately I enjoyed it. The, through the middle, I, like I said, it wasn't connecting with Roy and his family life very well. There was a lot of focus on that. And his madness, so to speak, to me, the, it wasn't that obvious the cause. Like, obviously his, his, his contact with the aliens was, was causing him distress, but you didn't really understand where these visions were coming from. They weren't really described that clearly as visions. So yeah. I got a bit... Lost, lo- it lost me a little bit through the middle, and just in terms of, uh, but it picked up right towards the end. It's a lot of magic and wonder, but I, I would say I enjoyed ET more. Yeah, um, and that I think is just because the personal and the character stuff was. Yeah, so it, it, it is that false. All those Spielbergian elements. Yeah, are I think that it was just a much tighter story um, mm. and things like that. But do you do you think maybe at, like from the adult perspective on a rewatch, the knowing kind of the, mm. the few things now, like you think. Those middle scenes with Roy and the family and like the the being plagued by visions. If you kind of now that having seen it through fully, you have a mm. clearer understanding. It would I, be I would, possibly more enjoyable. I'd probably like to rewatch it again. Mm. Um, but I mean, that's really not a great thing if you need to do multiple rewatches. Yeah, to yeah. Connect with your character. Uh, yeah, no. I I think I would rewatch it again. I don't think I'd get much more out of it in, yeah. in that regard. I, I just think I just didn't feel that the particular. Um, madness, so to speak, was ever really mentioned. It's just Roy was getting confused yeah. to the point where, I don't know, his lack of communication with his wife just escalated. Yeah, and to be <laughs> honest, like the, I, I've seen that this film yeah, a, lot of times. a lot of times. And whenever I think of this film, mm. I, that whole middle section I yeah. don't even think about. No, because like, otherwise I really... You remember the beginning and you remember the end. Yeah. Like, that's... That middle section, it's fine. But yeah, it's, it's fine. I just think the rest of it is a lot better around it. Like, mm. Roy's, Roy's a, I, I quite like him as a character. Yeah. It, um, the bookends of this film are Yeah, incredible. the bookends are really, really good. It just gets, for me, a bit clunky in the middle, but I still did really enjoy it. Mm. Um, it's not one I'd go rushing back to see, I don't think, but I would look forward to seeing it again, mm. um, like, several years from now. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose the big question is, as a kid... <laughs> yeah, see, as a kid is an interesting one, because maybe I would have enjoyed it more because I wouldn't have cared so much about the... Um, because for the wonder of it is great. Yeah. The wonder of it, it's, it is a bit long yes. and slow, so, you know, uh, that, that might have... Might have might have got me a little bit, but no, I think as a kid, the the Roy family stuff wouldn't have bothered me so much. No, and you probably and would have engaged a bit more with the set piece. I think so. Yeah, so I think as a kid, I would have liked it more, and then just just for the pure 
it, it has wonder and magic and some great set pieces, some really lovely special effects. It's thrilling, it's funny, it's scary at times. Yeah, it's got great balance of everything. It's got these little, little humorous moments to keep you going. Um, yeah, I, it, it, yeah, I think I would have enjoyed it more as a kid, yeah. Mm. Um, but st- still did enjoy it now, but yeah, I'm just pickier now. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I try, try not to be, but there are just a few little things that I'm like, yeah, it's a bit clunky at the moment. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything else with this one you wanted to? I don't think so. Touch on? No, no. It was just um, I can see why he went on and did ET. Yeah, yeah <laughs> basically now. So it's really good to have seen both of those mm. now and go, okay, I can see why he's like, all right, what, what next? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, well, the one thing I'll kind of mention before, like we move on, is the the brilliant casting of Francois Truffaut as Monsieur Lacombe. Um, yeah. And making his American debut as an actor is the great French director. Francois Truffaut, winner of the 1974 Academy Award. You would know the name because he's one of the creators of the French New Wave. He's mm. a filmmaker. Yep. Um, most famously directed The 400 Blows. That's yeah, probably his biggest okay. film. Um, yeah, a brilliant, brilliant filmmaker. Um, and I think why Spielberg approached him to be in the film was because I think in particular The 400 Blows, he has such a beautiful way to capture innocence of childhood Uh, and he has such an innocent feel and look about him that he was like that is the man you want to to make contact yeah yep and to lead a contact a a man who has such a pure and innocent sense of wonder about him that he's our guy and that's what we want our journey to be about yeah wonder and discovery yeah not self-gain or something like that so i'll cast a guy who knows that (laughs) and knows how to express that yep and yeah, this was like I think the third time he'd ever he'd only acted in like one or two role of his own films yeah. in minor roles, and it never really. So it, it's a kind of interesting bold it move is to a be bold like move. second lead of this film is a French director who doesn't really speak English. Yes, yeah, because like <laughs> I was wondering why they did that. I'm like, yeah, having to use multiple interpreters and stuff, and it makes it kind of cool. It makes it, it, makes it universal, like a, 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 a global. World. Yeah. yeah, it's not just like America again. Yeah. Um, Although it was almost all America. But, yeah, it was kind of cool to make it a bit more global and mm. universal. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that that worked, I think, very, mm. very well. That's a in- really interesting way, because, yeah. Yeah, I, I just wanted to shout out Truffaut, mate. <laughs> I'm, I'm familiar with that man and enjoy his work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, we normally wrap these, or kind of finish these episodes off by um, doing a little bit of a deep dive on some of the interesting trivia or facts about the film. And a little bit of that history, so I'll pull out my... Note paper here. Uh, so the film had a budget of twenty million dollars, uh, which is not a that much, really, like that for no. the amount of special effects and everything. Yeah, um, yeah. It's because this was only his Spielberg's third film. And if you think of the size of that final set piece, a lot of people on set, massive set. Yeah. Oh, and uh, also the the scene where Barry almost gets hit by the car. That's a set. Yeah. Oh, that's inside on a set. And oh, even wow. with the cars. Oh, of course, because you can get many angles around the corner and anything no, like that. No. So, yeah. It was being, being able to have a neutral environment where you can control the lights and things. Of course, things. yeah. Um, but yeah, on a budget of $20 million, the film grossed 300 and. Three hundred and eight point eight million at the worldwide box office, uh, adjusted for inflation, that's four hundred and ninety nine point three million. So almost half a billion dollars, uh, making it the seventy fifth highest grossing film of all time. Yeah, right. That's pretty good. I wonder if Star Wars actually helped it. Quite possibly. Yeah. Now that I think, but I would it. imagine a lot of people going like, "Oh, cool! The guy who did Jaws did us, and their buddies, and he did a space." Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. 
What? Huh? Yeah, and getting a almost 70s art film. Yeah, not, not getting Star Wars. <laughs> no, no. no. Um, I said it was the 75th highest grossing film of all time. Uh, I went and did a little bit more searching, and yeah, mm-hmm. found it's only the fifth highest grossing of Spielberg's all time. Okay. So, like, in He's the had some big ones along the way. Highest grossing films of all time, this is. His fifth, fifth. sitting in there, yep. Yeah. Okay. Which I'm like, God. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, it was nominated for eight Academy Awards, including Best Director and Best Supporting Actress for Melinda Dillon, who played Jillian. Uh, really? Yeah. She wasn't in it a great deal. I know, but she's very believable, I think. Yeah, and, true. And natural. Yeah. Uh, it won the Academy Award for Cinematography uh, for Vilmos Zygmunt, who is an amazing Yeah, fair enough. There were some great shots in there. And it won a special achievement for sound effects editing. Well, that was an actual proper award. Yeah, okay. It, back then, it was just best sound. Yeah. And, and there, there was no sound editing. Editing. And, yeah. Yep, cool. Uh, it was also nominated for four Golden Globes, picture, director, screenplay, and score. Uh, yeah, I should probably point out, uh, this is one of the only times Spielberg has ever written his own film. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know which other ones he's written? Uh, Sugarland Express, yep. which was his first film. Mm. He actually won the Best Screenplay Award at Cannes for that. Well, okay. When that first yeah. premiered. But um, other than Close Encounters, I can't really think of another one. No, oh, I... no, maybe AI. I think AI. Did he write that? With, like, He's... taking all of Kubrick's notes and planning yeah. stuff, I think, yeah. He, he wrote the end, the final screenplay of it. Oh, okay. Or, he has, or I think he has a screenplay credit on it, I want to say. Is AI, I can't remember, is it adapted or is it original? Oh, uh, it's adapted, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's... Something about Toys in Wonderland or something. Yeah. 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 It was a while ago since I saw that one. It's a good one. It's worth revisiting. Uh, nah. <laughs> uh It was also nominated for <laughs> nine BAFTAs, in, uh, including a nomination for Francois Truffaut, which I thought was nice. Mm. Uh, the soundtrack won a Grammy, and it was inducted into the National Film Registry <laughs> in 2007. <laughs> There's another. It's still going. <laughs> yep, yep, strong. Uh, the iconic five-note melody was a chance arrangement that both John Williams and Spielberg happened to like out of hundreds of different permutations. That Boy, yeah, imagine trying to choose that. Yeah, yeah, but it is so iconic. Yeah, they chose. They chose well. Yeah, you cannot complain. Uh, Stanley Kubrick was so impressed with Carrie Guffey, who was the little boy who played um, Barry. Barry. Yeah, he was so impressed with his performance that he wanted him for the role of Danny in The Shining. <laughs> yep. Um, apparently. Um, uh, Carrie Guffey was so natural and good on set mm. that he, uh, the crew and everyone started giving him the nickname of uh, One Take Carrie because oh, he would only wow. take yeah. one or two takes. So Spielberg actually had a little T-shirt printed up for him with that slogan. Awesome. He's like, you're such a nice guy, Spielberg. Yeah, yeah what a good bloke. <laughs> but I feel I should just point out as well, like if the whole story of um, Carrie Guffey and Kubrick and things, it's really interesting. Mm. Um, there's a fantastic podcast out there called I Was There Too, hosted by Matt Gawley, um, an amazing improvising imp- improv comedian, uh, where he talks to actors and mm-hmm. people that were involved in films in minor roles, and he recently had Carrie Guffey on, yep. talking about Close Encounters, and he tells the whole story of meeting, getting to meet Kubrick and stuff, yep. and he had very close parents that were just like no not a horror no thank you Mr. Cooper like and he was like yeah fair enough yeah it's like they just did it for a lark they didn't do it he's like I'm not an actor like that just something I did when I was five yeah like probably yeah. probably a good thing it's, it's a really interesting yeah. interview so I, if, if that kind of bit of trivia 
sparked anyone's yeah. interest, go go seek out that episode. It's really good. Um, Spielberg has actually said that editing the final 35 minutes of the film is among one of the hardest things he's ever had to do I in his life. I can imagine there's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> a lot of coverage, a lot of footage, and then trying to piece that jigsaw. And it was still almost too long. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of the length, uh, <laughs> it became one of the first films to ever have a special edition director's cut. Spielberg had originally aimed for a summer 1978 release for the film, but Columbia, who were on the verge of bankruptcy at the time, spurred him on f- to finish the film for a late 1977 release. This led to Spielberg feeling rushed and that he, f- and that he felt he had left important elements out of the final film. Because of its success, Columbia happily gave him an additional $2 million to finish the special edition this oh. after it had already been out. Yeah, that's nice of them. Um, Spielberg now acknowledges that some of the additional footage was unnecessary. Oh, okay. um, we should say the version we saw tonight is the ultimate edition, where Spielberg has then gone back and taken a few of the special edition elements out that he feels are so, unnecessary. So he's done his director's cut yes. and then removed... A few bits. Real, uh, so, so, main, the, the big one is there's a shot of inside the mothership of Ray of Roy being in there. Oh, the yeah. Okay. But it's like that's you don't need that. No, you don't at no, all. No, at all. So we've got somewhere in between theatrical and director's cut. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Okay, which makes it a, a fairly decent version, I think. Yeah. Um, the other kind of thing we like to uh, like to try and track down and find is uh, other actors who are yeah. approached. So for the role of Roy. Uh, there was Al Pacino, Jack Nicholson, Gene Hackman, James Kahn, Steve McQueen, and Dustin Hoffman. Wow. Yeah, because Richard Dreyfus really wasn't that. I mean, he had he was in Jaws. He was the third lead in Jaws. Yeah. Like he wasn't. Yeah, he was a shaggy man in Jaws. He, he was an interesting character actor. He wasn't yes. a leading man no necessarily. Um, but just going over that list, like Al Pacino would be so wrong. Gene Hackman, maybe. I, yeah, That's out of all one. that list, I'm like Hackman and maybe maybe Hoffman. But then I'm like, I can't imagine Dustin Hoffman being in a Ute going to fix electrical stuff. <laughs> no, no. I think Gene Hackman I, yeah, would be I, really interesting. Yeah, I think Hackman could. Yeah, don't know about Nicholson. Yeah. Nicholson, I love as an actor, but I'm just not sure about that role. No, he, him going crazy would be kind of scary, almost. But actually, him doing that saying yeah. at the and in '77 would have been. Mm. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Pacino wasn't interested in the script. Nicholson thought that any actor would be overwhelmed by the special effects, and Hackman turned down the role because he was in a troubled marriage and didn't want to spend 16 weeks away shooting. Oh, uh, James Caan's fee was too high. <laughs> And Steve McQueen turned down the role saying he wasn't able to cry on film. Wow, he's only able to be awesome. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he can jump motorcycles over yeah. barbed wire fences and that's about it. Uh, are there Nazis? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't care. Um, yeah, and the only other little bit of info that I thought was kind of nice is uh, the author Ray Bradbury, um, famous Yeah, Yeah. He, uh, he considers the film to be the greatest science fiction film of all time. It was Fahrenheit 451, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so yeah. that's his favourite sci-fi. Yeah, he obviously saw it and things before he passed away. And was like, yep, that's the pinnacle. And like 2001 had been out for almost a decade at this point. Yeah. So, I wonder what Carl Sagan thought. Was it? I couldn't find anything on that, actually. Uh, but now I kind of want to uh, yeah, deep a, dive a, on that, actually. As a contact writer. I'm um, sure he'd probably... Probably dig it. Yeah. He dug a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I guess that'll probably wrap us up for this episode, yeah, unless so. there was anything else you wanted to... 
Um, no, no. I think that's. I think we've covered everything pretty well. Yeah. So, so adult Eric thought it was a bit weird, but it still, enjoyed. Still very enjoyable. Uh, kid Eric, you reckon would have? I think I would, you would have liked it a bit more because the the little character flaws yeah. that adult Eric found a bit hard to connect with. I don't think kid Eric would have noticed. Yeah. And the rest of it is very, very special and magical. Hmm. Um, a really good complete package. Nice one. All right, so we've hit that point in the episode where it is time to pick the next film. So, as always, we've got a, a, a dwindling pile of films we put into the trusty top hat, and Eric's going to give him a shuffle and pull one out. Yep, it's, uh, it's shrinking, but uh, the film that we're going to do next is... Oh, Chris, you're going to love it. It's Hook. Oh, God damn it! <laughs> I hate, I hate, I hate Peter Pan. All right. <laughs> better listen to this one everyone because Chris doesn't like Hook much at all no I, I think Hook is one of the most <laughs> overrated uh, classicness viewing it with nostalgia glasses films of all time and for the record I think it looked dumb at the time <laughs> Like seven and still thought it looked, I thought it looked stupid. Um, so um, our, anyway, that'll be a fun episode. Yeah, uh, uh, that'll be one that'll be really interesting because um, I do another podcast called the Criterion Quest, um, where that has been an ongoing joke for about <laughs> four years. Ever since we started doing the podcast, um, even for my Bucks party, uh, pretty much hook themed. Yeah, you guys like the torture. The thing was, they made me dress up as Rufio. <laughs> I didn't know who the Rufio was. I yeah. just crowed um, when I was told to. <laughs> Glad I pulled that out. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, until that, uh, if you have any comments or queries or, dare I say, have any suggestions for films we should put into the hat, you can send us an email at haven'tseenpod at gmail.com and uh, we'll happily take any and all suggestions. Uh... But I guess, unless you got anything else, that'll wrap us up uh, for this episode looking at Close Encounters. My name's Chris. My name's Eric. Uh, and thanks for joining us. Please rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library.